God's people. Before we look at the scriptures more deeply, I'd like to pray. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We do pray that as we dwell on your scriptures, that you will convict us, yes, of our sin, but draw us closer to the rock-solid Saviour, Jesus Christ, who brings us full cleansing. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, there was a quote that I'd like to share with you on the screen today. It's from a man called Edwin Bliss, and he's an expert in time management. And he once said this, The pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, irrational, and a terrible waste of time. And I've really learned that over my life. Over the past couple of years, I've met with a person called a supervisor to grow and reflect upon my life and ministry. She's an expert in what's called family systems therapy, a branch of psychology that explores how our core relationships shape us into the people we become, how community shapes us into the people we become. In my supervision meetings, I've discovered that I was raised in an achievement-centered, even perfectionistic-driven environment. The worth placed upon someone was often connected to their success and accomplishments. When we failed to live up to that high standard, we experienced what is called the fear of failure, the feelings of shame and defeat. I only am discovering it now, but that environment that I grew up in produced this great anxiety in me. The perfect home, the perfect family, the ideal job, the ideal spirituality, these were the goals built into my family system for generations. If we're not doing something productive, we were not really living. That's how we felt. And this is actually quite... um, This is something that's quite shared in our Western culture. Our Western culture is very much shaped by this desire for perfection. We too often label ourselves as good or bad based upon the quality and quantity of our production. We often often live like robots, performers, always on the go, finding our identity in our busyness. And that is my confession. That's me. Think about it. Every sphere of life now seems hardwired um, to a performance-based society. And you think about education. You need to be the best in the education system. Sports, finances, relationships. Everyone is expected to be a type of golden child. And we then devour, to become that golden child, self-help books to increase our productivity and mental stability, performance, perfection. Sadly, I think this is often the place where we locate our identity in our society. However, like myself in the HSC of 2011, when I did not achieve my goals, there was a rotten hole in my heart. I experienced a deep emptiness a weight of shame. I was told I could become a great physiotherapist, but I completely flunked my ATAR. I hid my results from the public eye 
for the firstborn golden child, which was me, the firstborn grandchild on my mother's side, I had failed miserably as that golden child. Upon 10 years of reflection, my perfection revealed this truth. I was finding my identity in the approval of others. And friends, I share this testimony today for a reason. I suspect that many of us here today were shaped in similar success-driven environments, cultures. If that be your family, your workplace, your school, your sports club. I also suspect that this perfectionistic culture has impacted your view of God and possibly the gospel. If this is so, I pray that my exposition of Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 18 will give you a deep sense of liberation. In a world that proclaims you are what you achieve, I would like to share a better story of perfection today. One that is not based upon your accomplishments or achievements, but the achievements of someone else, Jesus Christ. What is this better story? It is the story of God who desires relationship with his creatures, with his people. Since God is perfect and holy, and since we are imperfect and unholy throughout history, God has crafted a grand plan to make us perfect in the sight of God, to make us acceptable the way we are, even though we are epic failures. Um, to be made perfect refers to our standing in God's sight. It includes total cleansing from sin so that we have a clean conscience, one of no guilt, one of no fear, one of no shame. And so the good news story is thus about God making a way for us to approach him without hesitation because we're being made clean. And this plan of God to make us perfect in his sight is revealed in two covenants. A covenant, as we've been learning, is a contract, um, an agreement between two parties. And so the God of perfection thousands of years ago, made a covenant with the imperfect people of Israel at Mount Sinai. As the mediator between God and Israel, Moses, who was the leader of Israel, then proclaimed the revelations of God to the people, the teachings of God, the Ten Commandments, the law. A core part of this covenant was about how an imperfect Israel could approach a perfect God. God instructed the people of Israel, as we learnt in previous weeks, to build the tabernacle and ordain a priesthood who would sacrifice animals to make the bodies of the people holy for a time. But since this sacrificial system was weak, it could not make the people of Israel perfect once and for all. Look at Hebrews 10 if you've got your Bibles, verses 1 and 2. Quote, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins." And so the repeated sacrifices could not make the people of Israel perfect, 
perfect to draw near to God with complete assurance, complete confidence. Otherwise, the people of Israel would not have remained like Adam and Eve after their rebellion. Remember the story. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to hide from God's presence. They did not want to face God because of what they had done. And Israel's like that. They constantly sin and they don't want to face God's presence. They've got this guilt in their, in their beings. And they, because they're so guilty, they can't approach the holy God with complete confidence. Every parent has had the same experience when your child rebels. You come home, and what do they do? They avoid you. When you track them down, they won't look into your eye. They do not want to draw near to you because they have a guilty conscience. And I think of Evelyn and even Nolan now. They often sneak around the corner and want to avoid me when they've done something bad. They might have gotten the chocolates out of the cupboard and they've put all the chocolate in the carpet. Sorry, parish council. But they don't want to approach me because they have a guilty conscience. And so the first covenant made with Israel at Sinai could not clean the people of God fully. It could not remove our guilt it only pointed forward to a better comfort, confident, sorry, a better covenant with better promises that could make us confident. And so my p- first point is on the screen. The old covenant could not make us perfect, for it not, could not cleanse our consciences. Well, friends, the conscience, the deepest part of ourselves that regulates our fear, Our guilt, our shame, cannot be cleansed by our own sacrifices and means. I'm thus reminded of a man on the deck of a millionaire ship. The man ventured onto the ship to enjoy a long cherished trip to visit all the sites of the ancient and modern civilization. On this trip, he stood before the colossal monuments of Egypt. He also looked at the grace of the Parthian that had now been broken to pieces. He had wandered at moonlight amid the solitudes of the Colosseum and watched the sunset over the Saharas. He had breathed the light air of Paris and heard the central roar of London. Yet the enjoyment and satisfaction of his mind escaped him. Whenever he went, wherever he went, he was confronted by his own shadow. He was unsatisfied. However eloquently he spoke about ancient castles, war fields, priceless sculptures, his own self-accusing voice would speak to him with a louder and more penetrating accent. Something was not right within him. And that something trailed him with unsleeping persistence and unbribable determination. Almost anything in the world he could have. He could get passports to other lands. He could enjoy all the luxuries of these lands, but he could not obtain a passport to the land of happiness and peace of mind. He could not buy tickets. Sorry, he could buy tickets and food and drink and attire and whatever he desired, but he could not buy a good, clean conscience. Friends, a good conscience cannot be purchased by our own means. Even though a man offers 
has all the money in the world and can purchase all these good things, he cannot get that one thing that only Christ can give. All humans have an inbuilt longing in their heart, an emptiness that cannot be filled by their own works or achievements. Not even the inferior sacrifices of Israel could clean their consciences. Also, think about today, no well-being program, no psychological system of support, no therapeutic counselling session can give us that deep cleansing of the soul that liberates us. How then can we obtain this clean conscience? How do we receive the eternal state of pure confidence which modern secular sciences cannot obtain, nor old weak sacrifices? How do we obtain perfection before God? We obtain real perfection through the work of Jesus. The old covenant and its sacrifices, even modern psychology in its weakness, points to the new covenant, a system that offers True, deep, soul cleansing. All that interior fear that you experience each day, that inbuilt shame when you walk into certain places, all those feelings of guilt from past mistakes, all that darkness that wells up inside of your souls, that even makes you stay awake at night in horror sometimes, can be restored by the work of Jesus. Look at some wonderful verses that points to this great confidence we have in Hebrews 10. Verse 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, Christ offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Verse 14, by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 17, their sins and lawless acts God's will, God will remember no more. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. What great confidence we have made holy, once for all sacrifice, made perfect, forgiven. And if we compare it to the old covenant, that encapsulates that freedom from that guilt that we've experienced deep within us. In other words, the death of Christ is that one event in human history. This is the best news in the world that provides the ultimate cure for our restless imperfect, weary souls. Perfection cannot be obtained through the law. It cannot be received through techniques, techniques of modern therapy. It cannot be achieved through our own successes and achievements. Perfection, the deep cleansing of our souls, can only be found in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. The atoning death of Jesus Christ. So I want to point to this second point on the screen. The new covenant is what makes us perfect 
for the sacrifice of Jesus is the only means to receive a clean conscience. Now, friends, if the gospel is the only thing that can purify our consciences in our world, in the deep way, the soul-cleaning way, this changes how we view things in our world. For example, let me explore modern psychology with you for a moment. With the rise of secularism, I've seen a major distinction being made in the world. Many have separated psychological therapy from pastoral ministry. At worst, some organisations have uncritically dubbed psychological therapy as pastoral care. What then is pastoral care? The classical definition of pastoral care is the care and cure of souls. Throughout the ages, the pastor of a church was called not just to be an expositor of scripture, but to be a spiritual therapist. He was called to listen, analyze, and apply the healing words of the gospel to souls. Prior to the 20th century, the pastor was the go-to person for all psychological, emotional support. His role was to apply the balm of the gospel to the spiritual, emotional wounds of the people. For example, if someone came to the pastor horrified because they had, for example, pulled a ladder um, and the person in the tree fell down and died, they would be feeling a weight of fear, guilt and shame. And the pastor's role was to actually listen to that, that soul in turmoil, listen deeply to that soul and bring the word of God through the power of the spirit to that person in need and let that word of God do its transforming work in the deepest part of that person, which is the soul. Another example is someone who's lacking salvation, assurance of salvation. The pastor would speak the assuring words of Jesus to that person saying, friend, don't you know that by faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ that was spilled with for you, you no longer need to live in that fear that you once had. You can now approach God while revering him. Yes, you can now approach God with great confidence because you are healed. Perfect. That sin that you carry has been conquered on the cross. What great release that person would have if they knew that they would have complete assurance before God. And so how might this view of the pastor change how I live? Well, mo while modern psychology has their place, as I shared before, um, family systems therapy revealed my idol of achievement, it could not cure my soul. I had to turn to Christ for that, to refine my identity in him. That therapy just revealed, exposed the issue, but Christ healed it. So how might this view of pastoral ministry change how we um, live? Well, it, realize, it reminds us that our inner conflict, our psychological anxiety 
our emotional pain, the, the, the number one solution to that problem is the gospel. What you might need is not breathing exercises, music therapy, or even more drugs. The word of God carefully applied to your soul might be what you need. I've had countless people come to me over the last couple of years and I've shared this truth of the gospel with them. And they've gone and tried everything, drugs and alcohol and you name it, breathing exercises, meditations, all these things. But it's, what, it's the word of God that brought that release for them, that got them back on the narrow road that leads to life and helped them on their pilgrimage to the new world. And so through the art of shepherding, the Holy Spirit might apply the word of God to our spiritual wounds, dressing it with the antibiotics of the kingdom until that part of you is completely restored. In other words, by reclaiming a robust understanding of the pastor as your counsellor, you would, it would do you a lot of good. Imagine more people who humble themselves before Christ and realize that the gospel contains the true remedy for their souls. Who knows, with the highest rates of anxiety and depression ever recorded, the next revival of the church might come in the form of a solid pastoral counseling movement, not only led by pastors, but also well-trained lay pastors. And so, friends, at the beginning of this teaching... I spoke about our culture of achievement, perfectionism. Oh, how good it is to know that our desire for perfection can be found in one place. In Jesus. In Jesus. That is where you can be released from every pain of fear, guilt and shame that you've experienced in your lives. The gospel is where we find true healing through his perfect sacrifice, we can now have full acceptance, favour and delight in the sight of God. Through the riches of this glorious gospel, we are made perfect and our conscience is made clean once and for all. And so, friends, if you would like to meet with me, if you would like to organise a time to share some fears, anxieties, pains, troubles, sins, the pastor should be your first point of contact. And so I want to open myself up to you as your shepherd who, has, who has, has been commissioned by God to care for your souls so that you can reach eternal glory with a greater sense of assurance of salvation. Um, I look forward to meeting with you guys more deeply over the next couple of years and getting to know you all better. And I do pray that as we journey together through the scriptures that you'll find great healing for your souls. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that this new covenant gives us cleansing of the deepest part of ourselves, the soul. Lord, we do pray that as we reflect upon the ministry of our pastor, um, we do um, reach out for help and find um, people to support us as we seek the cure and care of our own souls. Lord, we do thank you for the gospel and that it cleanses us. May we never lose sight of that amazing, glorious truth. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.